Would you please take your Bibles and uh, turn to Philippians chapter 1? Yes, we're five weeks into this uh, series on Paul's letter to the Philippians, and yes, we're still in chapter 1, but we're going to get out of chapter 1 today. I'm trusting that uh, this will be a blessing for us. It is God's Word for us, and as we've already emphasized this morning... For the nourishment of our souls, for the challenge of our hearts and lives, we need to hear this, and we need to hear it as God has spoken it to us and continues to speak it to us. So I trust you will do that. We've sung this morning that I want to know Christ. I want to know him. I want to hear his voice. I want to know him more. Now, that's the pursuit of the Christian believer, and that's, that's the heart of one who loves Jesus Christ. And it's in that spirit that we, uh, that we hear and know, receive his word. Actually, just before we go on further, I want to say, um, I've just, it's come to my attention that Paul and Brittany um, Evans are here. There they are in the back over there. Uh, come from the West, have been away for a number of months now. Hey, guys, it's really good to see you. And uh, yeah, yeah. God, God bless you guys. Uh, we'll get a chance to catch up afterward, uh, all of us. So uh, just good to, see, good to see your faces. I'm sure there's joy in the Evans home that you are around, and uh, certainly joy uh, with us. Uh, you might recognize this uh, photograph on the screen here. Last Sunday was a special Sunday. It was the Super Bowl Sunday. Do you know that uh, there were more than 100 million viewers of uh, the Super Bowl game? That means it's more watched than any other uh, television broadcast uh, of the year. Uh, tremendous thing. And Patrick Mahomes, that's Patrick Mahomes, the uh, quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs, um, was uh, really the, the, the one who orchestrated the victory for the, for the Chiefs, and there he's hoisting the, the trophy. Um, I don't know if you noticed, if you watched the game, um, that would be like one in four of us in North America watched the game. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but before the start of the game, Patrick Mahomes knelt down in the end zone for all the world to see, and he prayed. Patrick Mahomes is a Christian believer Here's something that he said in, his, uh, in, in an interview. Um, he said that doing what I do every single day and then, lo- as long, and, and then knowing that as long as I'm doing everything the right way, that, that in the way that he would want me to do it, and he is capitalized because he's speaking about God, the way that he would want me to do it, then I can walk off the field with my head held high because I'm able to be the man that I'm supposed to be. <clears throat> It's given me a lot of blessing in my life, and I'm trying to maximize and glorify him, again, capital H, in everything that I do. That's Patrick Mahomes. I don't know if you noticed this also, but at the, uh, after the game was over and the ceremonies that presented the trophy, the Hunt family, that is the owner, that's the owner family of the Kansas City Chiefs, um, Clark Hunt, I believe it was, gave thanks to the Lord for his blessings in their lives and uh, for uh, just for God's goodness. He was intent to ensure that God received glory in that largest of stage stages. It may not seem like much, but these were long-awaited, I assure you, long-awaited intentional ways of giving glory to Jesus Christ in the biggest moment of their lives. That encourages me. 
And as much as football means to individuals like these, they are more eager to honor Christ than even to win. We are to pursue Christ, to know Christ, to lift up Christ. I want to just remind you of where we are in Paul's letter to the Philippians because this is something that unfolds and as it does, it holds together. Remember then that Paul is in prison for preaching the good news that Jesus is the king. He has been proclaiming this despite those who do not want to hear. And he is full of effervescent joy. He is just full of joy despite his very harsh circumstances because his imprisonment, he says, has by the power of God served to advance the gospel, though it was designed to uh, put put the proclamation of the gospel on hold. He reports to us that the believers now also preach the gospel even more boldly. Paul absolutely shows absolutely no fear. He desires, in fact, that Christ will be exalted in his body, whether that's by life or death. It, it, it is, uh, Paul just wants to give himself to the honor of Christ. In fact, he will say, as we considered last week, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And this is here for us that we would know our attitude is to be the same. No matter what you do, no matter where you are, no matter what your circumstances are, your attitude as a follower of Jesus Christ is to know him, to live is him, to die is gain. Paul goes on to say that though he would prefer to die for the Lord, that would actually be his preference and be with the Lord forever. He denies his own preference And he chooses rather, so far as it it, it is up to him, but of course it's God who permits, he chooses to remain alive for the sake of the believers in Philippi. And in this way, Paul is showing that his conduct is worthy of the gospel. Worthy of the gospel. And then at this point, Paul turns from his own conduct and his own circumstances to the conduct of the Philippian believers, and he wants to address them. And he says, uh, that, uh, he says to them two quite strange things, two very strange things. And if, uh, you know, when it comes to Wednesday this week and you're asking yourself the question, what was it that Pastor Dale preached on on Sunday? It's these two things, all right? This is what you need to remember on, on Wednesday. It's uh, Pastor Dale wants us to suffer. And Pastor Dale wants us to do it together. He wants us to suffer and he wants us to do it together. And it's only me saying that because that's what uh, we have right here. It's the, the call to join Christ in his sufferings and to join Christ in his humility as we walk together. That's what I want to share with you today. So firstly, firstly, the call to participate in the sufferings of Christ. Very strange indeed. But let me read for you. Philippians 1, 27 to 30. It says this. Whatever happens, and there's an emphasis here, this matters most. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being afraid in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but but that you will be saved, and that by God. 
For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle, you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the Lord to us. So as we consider this passage, uh, I want to ask, uh, you know, what does Paul ask of us? What is Paul's desire? What is he seeking? And I think we could probably see it in its, in its uh, you know, stated fully in verse 27. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. Consider yourselves uh, to, uh, you know, as those who will... Um, conduct every part of your affair in in a manner worthy of the gospel you've been saved by the gospel of jesus christ you profess to glory in the gospel of jesus christ that's why you're here today to give honor to christ because of what he's done for you you desire to extend the gospel of jesus christ that's why we send uh, people out that the gospel might go forward so let your conduct conform to the gospel of christ be those who are worthy of the Christ of Christ. This is not the only time that Paul mentions this. Ephesians 4 and verse 1, this is kind of a familiar refrain from Paul. Ephesians 4 and verse 1, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Live worthy of the gospel. And then Colossians 1 and verse 10, to that group of believers, he says, So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. And then to the Thessalonian believers, 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 12, he says, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Paul consistently calls us to live worthy of the gospel. You know, I remember reading passage like this in scripture, reading this passage uh, when I was a young believer and just how it struck me how it struck my heart how it brought conviction to my life that i am to live worthy of this glorious gospel of jesus christ and it 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 just brought me low because i realized how far far short i fell of this and then it also lifted me up that this this was my calling this was the purpose in life that i could actually live a life worthy of jesus christ who saved me by his infinite grace Paul couldn't make himself more clear to the Philippians. And so he, he, he wrote them to, in language that they would just have to understand. The most essential thing a Christian must do is to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, if you're hearing this, you're asking yourself, if you're really hearing this, you're asking yourself, what does that say about me? Am I, am I there? Does that describe my walk with Jesus Christ? The phrase to be worthy of the gospel actually translates a Greek word, polituestha. It has the, the word polity in it, or polis, the Greek word polis. It's a word then that actually speaks in a, in a, a very particular way to us. It, it, it actually can be translated, the ESV footnote in, indicates this. It can be translated as only behave as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ. It means as those who are called to live in this constitution of the gospel that has brought us together as the church and has sent us on our mission. And actually, that phrase ties together with something that Paul says later on in chapter 3 and verse 20 when he describes us 
believers as citizens of heaven. There's something about uh, who we are as a people that is uh, being addressed here, and we should walk worthy as that people of the gospel. Part of the background that helps us to understand is this. Uh, Philippi <clears throat> prided itself on being a Roman colony. They, they were some distance from Rome, actually quite a distance from Rome, but they were a colony of the Roman Empire. And uh, so they were offered the privilege and the honor of Roman citizenship. And Paul is reminding these Philippian believers that they should look to Jesus Christ, not to Caesar, but to Jesus Christ for their model of behavior, the mission of Christ and the King Jesus and their primary allegiance is to be to God and to his kingdom. And they are to function in this way. Stand together with one another and with Paul in striving for the gospel. This brings strong critique, I would suggest, to our way of living. I mean, to live worthy of the gospel. Paul's concern here is to uh, really to exhort in a strong way these Philippian believers that they would stay strong, that they would, uh, they would stand in the midst of persecution, and they would do it together, and they would do it with joy because they know Jesus is king. And they know that though they are a colony out there in the midst of an unwelcoming surroundings, that ultimately the victory will come and they will be proven right. I would have to say our Christian experience of the church in Canada is becoming more and more like a colony outpost of the kingdom of Christ in the land. There are many all around us who do not know that Jesus is the king. <clears throat> they do not behave in that way, but Jesus is king. And we live in the knowledge that he's on the throne. And that makes for a special kind of life together. That defines our activities. That defines our relationships to one another. I want to spell this out a little further by asking the question, what is gospel-worthy conduct? What does it mean to live worthy of the gospel? Well, there are some characteristics that are listed right here in the text, and let's just take special note of them as we try hard to hear God speaking to us. What is gospel-worthy conduct? It's this. It's embracing hardship for Jesus' sake embracing hardship for jesus sake like a colony of a distant power in a still rebellious and hostile land that's how we are to embrace hardship it's not unlike the circumstances that we find ourselves in today here's another one we are to stand firm in the one spirit stand firm in the spirit of jesus christ unity Unity is absolutely critical. If we are divided, especially as we understand ourselves as a colony outpost, if we are divided, we are easily defeated in such a hostile environment. Division means scattering. And scattering means no more colony of the king. Do you have a sense for what our mission is in Uxbridge today? Here's another one, gospel-worthy conduct. Striving together for the one faith, Paul says. Striving together together for the one faith it's our common goal and it's clear the advance of the gospel and allegiance to king jesus <clears throat> how are we doing and then this <clears throat> unafraid of the opposition this is gospel worthy living unafraid genuinely 
unafraid of the opposition. Genuine, bold fearlessness because Jesus is king. Not only king in some sort of political sense, but he has destroyed the powers. Sin and death and hell. He is really the king, even if those we live among don't know it yet. Does it sound familiar? Not only is a gospel-worthy life, uh, you know, a life that is uh, uh, persevering in the ways we've been shown to live. We stand firm. We refuse any ground to the enemy. We refuse to take our eyes off of Christ. We refuse to relinquish our our trust and faith in him in, in any circumstance, in all circumstances. Not only is it all of this, but it's also a life marked by a real, active striving with other Christians to represent the faith and to defend the faith. Some people, I can imagine, would would ask the question, why are we studying Paul's letter to the Philippians? This is 2020. We're the beginning of a whole new decade. Why are are we not, uh, you know, doing what so many would do, the 2020 vision of Uxbridge Baptist Church? Why why are we uh, giving ourselves to this study when we should be talking about what our mission and purpose is? (laughs) This is our manifesto. This is what we are to be living out. I can't imagine a more clear call to action than this. The colony of the kingdom of God out in the hostile world that would snuff it out. But praise God, we have the spirit of God. We have the the truth of Jesus Christ. We have the living one amongst us. This is our calling. And we're to make it clear to all around us. Let's be pure. Let's be strong about this gospel. How is this to be so? Well, take a close look at verse 29. You've got it in your Bible. These are not my words. These are Paul's words. You have them. It is God's gift that you both believe in him and suffer for him. Suffer for him. There is (laughs) untold honor and untold joy when we suffer for Christ's sake. Suffering actually is, suffering for Jesus' sake is a fundamental feature of fellowship with Christ. It is what it is to be a disciple. We, we take up our cross and follow him. Uh, that's, that's a symbol of death. That's a symbol of laying it all down that we might follow him. That, that's a symbol that certainly includes suffering, fellowship with Christ. It's not that troubles might come. Troubles will come because the reality is the believers in Christ will suffer for his sake. Paul teaches that both suffering and faith are gifts from, gifts from God. Suffering for, for the sake of Jesus is great privilege. I hope that you take that to heart. Because that, that changes your perspective on so many things. In fact, let me, let me just kind of bring a little greater force to it by uh, reminding you of Jesus' own teaching. This is the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verses 10 to 12, and it says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Do you see the, 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 do you hear the ringing of the same tones, the same truths in Jesus' teaching? Paul is just picking it up and reaffirming what Jesus has already taught. 
And then the early disciples, they had this very same experience, Acts 5 and verse 41. Um, this is when the apostles come under uh, judgment by the, the, the powers, the Jewish powers of the time. Verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. That is the name of Jesus that is above every name. They, count, they were filled with joy because they were counted worthy. By whom? By, by the exalted uh, enthroned Lord that they could suffer for his name because he had suffered for them and they can be identified with him in his suffering. Is that something that registers with us these days? There's a, a, a second century uh, church leader, teacher, uh, church father and martyr whose name is Polycarp. Polycarp. Um, Polycarp was a personal disciple, we believe, of the Apostle John. So he, he was mentored, if we could say it that way, by the Apostle John. Polycarp was eager to be martyred for Jesus' sake. Not that he pursued it in any kind of foolish way, but he was eager to be martyred for Jesus' sake. And he was not alone in this. As an old man, we understand somewhere around 85 or 86 years old, he was the bishop of the church at Smyrna in Asia Minor, which is present-day Turkey. Uh, persecution against the Christians was intensifying. It broke out there, and believers were being fed to the wild beasts in the arena. Polycarp, for his confession of Christ, and he was given opportunity, plenty of opportunities, to recant his uh, declaration of Jesus Christ as Lord, to renounce that, but uh, Polycarp would not do that. So he was tied to the stake, the fire was prepared, and uh, he was about to be, uh, to, to be burned at the stake. And Polycarp, it's reported, lifted his eyes to heaven and he prayed this prayer. Father, I bless you that you have deemed me worthy of this day and hour, that I might take a portion of the martyrs in the cup of Christ. Among these, may I today be welcome before thy face as a rich and acceptable sacrifice. So that's the heart of one who has been so captivated by Jesus Christ that nothing else matters, but that Christ be exalted and that his gospel go forward. Uh, it was the followers of Polycarp uh, in the church of Smyrna who um, gathered together. They were witnesses of this, and there's, there's a lot of documentation that we have about how this affected them. There's, uh, there, there's, there's much to uh, confirm what is said here. His followers were told, uh, gathered his remains, and they, they actually treated them like precious jewels, and they buried them on February 22nd, probably in the year 150, you know, 1870 years uh, or something like that. Uh, a day that was set aside to be remembered. The year was probably 155. <clears throat> and uh, this, is the, this is one testimony of so many who gladly gave their lives for Christ. The attitude seems so foreign to us in our day of comfort and ease and self-determination. When we think about the suffering of the persecuted church, even in our own time, we often don't realize the truth about them, that they, they often are not asking for us to pray for an end to their suffering. 
It's usually not the case. What they're asking is that we would pray that they would be courageous and faithful and full of the Spirit of God as it, as it uh, you know, gives expression in joy in their lives as they give themselves to what Christ has apportioned for them. That's what brings the greatest joy. Do you want to know why your joy is lacking? Like, I mean, true joy? Do you want to know why it's lacking? It's because you pulled back from the fight. You're not pursuing the advance of the gospel. You pulled back from the front lines and you're not suffering for his name. There is a peculiar kind of joy that is for Christian believers only who honor their Lord and Savior as they fight the fight, the good fight. You know, we count it as suffering because we have to warm up the car on a really cold morning in order to get to church. And, you know, let alone trying to find a parking spot on a morning like this. There, there's our suffering. Uh, and, you know, and if that's not the case, you, you know, you come in and if you have to fight to get one of the back seats in the auditorium, then that just kind of caps it all off. This is my suffering for Jesus' sake. I have to sit closer to the front. <clears throat> when did Christian mission become synonymous with being safe? One of the most <clears throat> fundamental features of church mission policies these days is that we guarantee that everyone is going to be safe. Otherwise, it's not a worthy mission. There's something wrong. Something wrong with that. Most North American Christians have never experienced real persecution for their faith. Wouldn't you say that? real persecution and they probably not consider persecution as something that is granted as god's free gift to those who belong to him in fact i would think and i i acknowledge myself in this group i think christians in the west are so busy focusing on the material blessings of life that we rarely give thought to the call to walk with jesus as one who carries our own cross emulating our savior Paul says in yet another text, Romans 5, 3 to 5, he says this, we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. We rejoice in our sufferings. There was one seminary student who once commented, he said this, when you worship a suffering Messiah, it sure changes a lot about how you view suffering yourself. I think that's so true. That is so countercultural. Those of you who are on the front lines and who are being muted because of where you are and the powers that uh, would, would try to rein you in, you, you know, we can often feel like this is, uh, you know, this is a bad place to be. But God bless you for standing in the place where you can suffer reproach for the name of Jesus. What an advantage you have in bringing glory to his name. 
So what we have here, the first part of a a gospel-worthy life is one that participates in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his honor. And then there's a second part. The second part of this is that we join him in his humility. These two paragraphs, last part of chapter 1 and the first part of chapter 2, they do go together. Uh, And uh, it's, it's speaking about how we are to live the life of humility, but because Christ was the humble one who served us. So we're participating in his humility. Let me read this portion out for you. Philippians 2 verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others." Let me break it down into two questions, or with two questions, break it down. Firstly, this, what are the benefits of the gospel as they're laid out here? And then number two, question number two, how are we to practice the gospel? What are the benefits? They are these, encouragement from being united with Christ. Encouragement, your heart is lifted. Do you know this? Your heart is lifted because Jesus is on your side and you are on his side. And this gives you a a, a nobility and there's a glory resident within because we're united with Christ. Such encouragement. And then secondly, comfort from his love. This is a benefit of the gospel. You're comforted by his love. The love of God in Jesus so precious to you. Your many sins have been forgiven. Let me say it again. Your many sins have been forgiven. You've been turned from the path of destruction. Your troubled heart is comforted by God's great love demonstrated in Jesus Christ. There's comfort in the gospel. There's a sharing in the spirit of God. You know that it's it's the life-giving convicting, stirring, empowering work of the Spirit of God within you. This is the the blessings of the gospel of Christ. It's in your bones because Christ has called you to himself. What are your benefits? Well, tenderness and compassion. You have experienced the grace and mercy of God. God looking on your life and God extending to you kindness, forgiveness, mercy, power life that you don't deserve and never could deserve you felt his tender touch in your life you've experienced it in a, in a personal way you've experienced it in an immediate way god has spoken to you in your distress in your helplessness he's spoken a word specifically to you you know his kindness in your own lowest most humble moments god has spoken to you And you ask, who am I? Who am I? I'm nothing. Yet God has intervened in my life with undeserved favor. You know this as sure as anything, as the certain activity of God. There's tenderness and compassion of God in your life. These are the benefits of the gospel. 
Do you know them? These are, these are precious to us. And if you do, you need to recognize these are the first fruits of the coming kingdom. This, this is the first fruits that is extended to those who are, uh, you know, those who occupy the colony of Christ out in the land that is hostile to him. These are the first fruits of the kingdom that's coming in its fullness. He will reign. This is his land. And so since you know these things, Paul says, walk in the humility and servanthood of Christ. Walk in these things. In other words, walk it out. The gift that has been given you, walk it out. And so how? The second question, how are we to practice this? We know these benefits. How are we to practice this gospel? Well, it means something like living as united members of the new kingdom. A colonial outpost surrounded by a harsh and alien uh, uh, people. The Philippian believers must make sure that they continue to progress, move forward in their faith, um, and, and, and especially in the absolutely critical area of love for one another. Love for one another. The Bible emphasizes over and over again, doesn't it, how critical it is for us to demonstrate our love for one another. That there's something powerful in that and the witness of that to the world. See how they love one another. I'm afraid that there are some things that need to change in our lives in order for us to demonstrate that kind of love for Jesus and love for those who belong to him. Some of the ways in which we've sort of compartmentalized our lives and separated ourselves off from others and just just got enough margin or or buffer there between us and those other ones, uh, that has to come down in the context of the colony of Christ We need to demonstrate love for one another, noticeable union together. The Philippian believers had to make sure that they continue. This is how we live a worthy, uh, a life worthy of the gospel. This is how we uh, we, uh, participate in the humility of Jesus Christ. Let me just spell it out for you in this text so you receive it from the text. It says this. It says, be like-minded. What that means is be like Christ. Have his mind. And we're going to see that when we come later in the chapter 2. But see, know his mind and be like him. And because we're like him, we're like one another. Uh, You know, approximating his mind of humility and service means we're going to be like this with one another. Be like-minded. It says this, have the same love as Christ. The mind of Christ is characterized by love, genuine love for one another. It says this, be united in spirit and mind. It's, it's a spiritual unity, and it's essential to our survival. It's essential to our success. Do you want to know how we get on with things today in our current environment? It's to be united in the spirit, in mind. It's to, it's to do this. It's to reject selfish ambition. Let's say it again. We've heard it, but let's say it again. It's not about private interests. It is not about personal advancement. It's about the advance of the gospel of the king. It's about the, uh, the, the, the success of the colony as a whole, which lives under his reign and lives for him. We see it in a winning team. Everybody pulls together. That's the secret to their success. We see it in a, in a beautiful orchestra where everything is harmonious, everyone pulling together, aware of the other, bringing out the best in one another. We see it in a successful mission, whatever type that might be. It's everybody pulling together in that difficult place. 
We see it in a pioneering community. I think we've become a lot more like a pioneering community in our time. Their success depends entirely on their functioning as a unified and harmonious whole. So take this to yourself. I'm I'm, I'm pleading with you this morning. Take this into your heart. This is how we're to live. This is what 2020 and beyond is supposed to look like for us. And we're told this as well. Embrace humility. Embrace humility. That means putting others ahead of yourself. This is colony life at its best. We're worthy citizens of the gospel kingdom because we embrace a kingdom mindfulness above all. I find it so funny sometimes how you know, people change a word like mindedness to mindfulness. And it sounds like all of a sudden something new has been invented and everybody writes about it and everybody talks about it. Now we have to talk about mindfulness that's newly discovered. No, it's not. <laughs> to be mindful of the kingdom, to practice kingdom mindfulness. This is what Paul has been calling us to all along. This is what Jesus has been calling us to all along. This is us. I love what C.S. Lewis says, very, very simply, but he says it in a, in a way that's compelling. <clears throat> he says this. If you really get into any kind of touch with him, you will, in fact, be humble. Right? Delightfully humble. Feeling the infinite relief of having for once got rid of all the silly nonsense about your own dignity, which has made you restless and unhappy all your life. (laughs) Wow. So Paul says to us, consider one another better than yourselves in humility. Rejoice in the honor that is paid to others rather than paid to yourself. Let's live this way. The simplicity of Paul's language, um, uh, you know, it, it's, it's simple language, but it's difficult for us to work out it. We, we, we need to be together, serve together, love together. And there are going to be, you know, moments of friction in all of that. It's difficult to work out, but that, well, that's just where we grow. And that, that's just where the spirit uh, it does such wonderful work. That's where we conform to Christ. Let me say it again. If you really get into any kind of touch with him, you will in fact be humble. Delightfully humble. Feeling the infinite relief of having for once got rid of all the silly nonsense about your own dignity, which has made you restless and un- unhappy all your life. So what did the pastor preach on Sunday? He wants us to suffer with Jesus. And he wants us to suffer with Jesus together for one another. That's the calling. That's that's what it is for us in our day, in our moment, in our circumstances. Is your life an act of worship before Almighty God? Is is my life an act of worship before King Jesus? Are you willing to die to self and live for Christ regardless of the cost? Will you persevere? Will you know the joy of perseverance? Will you live in fear or will you live by faith? Are you willing to suffer loss, never seeking it, but willing to experience it for Jesus' sake? 
Will you exalt his name? Will you bring honor to his name? Will you love his name and his person and his people? Well, God has given his word to us just so we might do this. Let's pray together. Let's ask God that he'd work in our lives. Father, how we thank you for the truth of your word, how we thank you for its instructive power. Lord, I believe that you brought things to our mind today that we really need to hear. And we all confess together we will struggle to hear these things in their purity and in their strength. So we ask you to remove all of our barriers and remove all of our but what if scenarios. And help us simply to say yes to you. Help us simply to follow you. Help us to lay hold of the prize of knowing you. Not just with our minds, but with our lives. Father, bless. I would just pray for each person here today as they they bring this into their own personal experience. Lord, will you be glorified in their lives? Show us the way. Show us what it means for us today and tomorrow and every other day. And Lord, help us to live differently. Let it be noticeable that we're different because of the rule of Christ within us. Lord God, have your perfect way. We plead with you. Have your way. Make us to be yours in this way. In Jesus' name, amen.